Yep, and we do this for a few reasons. Um, yes, in some ways it, it's a basics course. It's a, it's a, it's a, the foundation of Christian faith. Um, but our, our, our rationale for, for doing it on a yearly basis is there's three things. First of all, um, every year there's some new people amongst us and we don't want to be presumptuous and, and we want to think, well, isn't it good in our teaching rhythms to make sure we systematically go through you know, some core truths of what we're about so that people can have the opportunity, if there is one, for them to become a follower of Jesus for the first time. So that's one reason we do it. Um, and when we say that, we know that most of the people in our congregation who come to faith actually come through people in our congregation not taking them to a service like this, but actually just sharing it with them themselves, which is actually wonderful, which is the way we'd like to do it. But we still think alongside that, it's helpful to have a little time in, in the year where people know if they are bringing someone to church, hey, in these three weeks, they're particularly going to focus on the basics. So that's one reason we do it. The second reason is that these truths are not academic truths. They are truths that you and I, as Christians, always need to re-embrace. You, you, like, these are not things that you tick off on a like an academic list and God, these are things that your life is based around. Your true, These truths are the core of who we are and unless you're living them out perfectly, there is never any harm in going over them again. Ever. Really. And, and the third reason is we're Baptists and it gives us a time in the year where it's really natural to call for people to be baptised. Whether there's someone responding for the first time or whether you're someone who's been coming here for a while. And, um, you know, if, if you resonate with these three truths and you're like, well, that's what I believe and we haven't dumped you, we want to dunk you. We want to dunk you. We want to get you in front of your family and friends. And we want you to declare these things that you believe in front of them. And we want to put you under the water and raise you up again with that wonderful symbol of, of coming to new life in Christ. So there's three reasons we do it. And so if you haven't been baptized, one of the things I'd like you to do is pray over the three weeks about whether we can baptize you at the end of it as well. Um, and so I've just got, um, so we're just going to be looking at um, yeah, three truths that should resonate deeply with your identity if you are a Christian and if you're someone exploring uh, really three super important truths for you to um, wrestle with and explore. And the videos are going to be online, so if you want to share them with people that way, you can. We're going to talk about our first week. Um, in first week, we're going to talk about our purpose as Christians. Before we talk about the first truth that we need to accept, we're going to talk about our purpose. Now, um, I'm just going to show you a photo. And uh, now, who knows who these people are? Come on. Anyone? Yes, Janet, who are they? Chandler and Mindy Irwin. Oh, no, it's not Chandler. Robert. Yeah. And yes, it's the Irwin kids. Yeah. Don't worry if you've got their names wrong. Right. Steve no. Irwin's kids. Now, put up your hand if you remember very clearly Steve Irwin himself. You grew up watching Steve Irwin. Now, this is a really good starting point to understand the concept of what it means to image someone into the world. These kids, if you knew nothing about Steve Irwin, actually, in the way they behave, in the values they express, in the way they treat nature, image their father into the world. You know a little bit about Steve Irwin by watching his kids. Even if you never saw Steve Irwin before, if you watch these kids around animals, you're actually seeing a little bit of Steve Irwin. They image him into the world. You know what I mean. Like even the way they talk, the way they dress. Yes, part of it's for the cameras and it's part of what they do as their business. But it's also actually you see the father in the kids. 
right? And, and that's a really good handle on how we're to understand the concept of image. What does it mean? What does it, what does it mean when it says we are made in the image of God? And you're meant to get a real sense of the Father by looking at his children. That's a really good way to understand why, what your purpose as a human being made in the image of God. You are meant to image the Father into the world. People are meant to get an idea of the Father through us. And that's, that's the purpose of humanity. So when the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. There's this real sense is, let's create these beings that will image and rule in a way so that when people look at them, they, they are imaging the Father in heaven. They, they are ruling the way that God would rule. And so... I really should have this table close up. But, um, you know, that, that's what this diagram's all about. This whole idea is that we're the little crown and God is the big crown. And the whole idea is that the way humans operate in the center of their purpose is that if God is just, then we are meant to image his justice in the way we treat each other, in the way we treat people. If God is, if God is merciful, then we are meant to image his mercy into those that are struggling and those that need forgiveness. If, if, God's, if God is the creator who loves his creation, then human beings are meant to image that love of his creation into the world and care for nature and care for... If God's nature is to care for the lost, last, the lost and the least, then, then in the centre of our being, people should look at humans and see people who do just that. In the same way you get a picture of Steve Irwin through his kids, the, the centre of who we're meant to be is that we are meant to be people who, when they look at us, get an image of our Father. That, that's who we are called to be. That's who we are created to be. And you look at this, this, this like relationship, and it requires two things. Two things at its core. It requires deep trust. It requires deep trust of God. Because this only works... If the big crown defines what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, what is up and down, what is left and right. Do you know what I'm saying? It only works. This doesn't work if the little crown decides where the lines go. It doesn't work. For this to work, for us to image the Father, the Father calls the shots. The Father defines good and evil. The Father defines right from wrong. The Father defines what is healthy and unhealthy. The Father defines what is good and bad, and we live that out. That is our purpose, to image him into the world. And so it requires trust, and the second word is deference. Deference to, for him to decide the lines, him to decide which way is up and down. And then you can see, though, in this arrangement... If we embraced it, which we didn't, which is kind of like the spoiler, but if we were to embrace it as a whole humanity, you can see that we are suddenly free to thrive, aren't we? Because it's creation in harmony with the Creator. Because the creation is moving in a way that the Creator wants, of course we will thrive. Because that's we're acting out life the way God intended it. So when we show complete trust and deference to God, we are free to thrive and we're actually free to love. 
You get that? We're free to love because we're so unified. We're so secure. We don't have the insecurity of a world where everyone's their own God and everyone does what is right in their own eyes and everyone is in competition for value. But we all have the one shared value that we are all unified under God. This is our purpose right here, to image the Father into the world. And we are free to love. And we know that it will equal love. And we know that it would equal unity and love and compassion because the first time God introduces himself in Scripture, so not with someone else describing it, but the first time the voice of God introduces himself, he says this in Exodus 34, 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And when, when, when one of the... Um, one of the Jews came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? If we, do, if we follow you perfectly, God, what will it all equal? And Jesus replied, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have, we have this picture of the world of we're free to thrive, we're perfectly imaging God into the world, we're perfectly imaging his values into the world, we're free to love, we're free to love each other because we're not in competition, we're all not trying to be our own God. The world, the world, the nature is well looked after, humans don't oppress each other. Am I describing the world? No, I'm not describing the world. I'm not describing the world as it should be. Something screwed this up. Something's wrong. We are not living like that. We are, not, we are not imaging the Father into the world the way we're meant to. And there's a narrative in Scripture that, you, that some of you know well that describes what went wrong. And so if, you can look, read along with me if you like, but we're gonna, I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And it, and it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, if I just tell you very quickly, you know, and this is, look, there's so much more we could draw out of this passage. But if the heart of this relationship, this relationship where we image God into the world, is trust and deference, trust that he knows what he's doing, deference for him to define what is right and wrong, then in this small narrative, what we have seen is that that trust has been broken and that, and that deference has been usurped, hasn't it? Human beings have taken the place of God because the serpent figure, the enemy of God, causes Eve... To dwell on the idea that God cannot be trusted. God is holding something back. God is not acting in your interest. He's hiding something from you. 
And then in the deference that he that they've been showing to God and God defining defining right and evil for themselves, when Eve takes the fruit and sees what is good in her own eyes, she is defining that very purpose. She is deciding what is good. She is deciding what is not good. She is deciding what is good for wisdom and what is what is pleasing to the eye. She, God is no longer setting those boundaries. And so what do you think happens to humans? What do you think? I'm asking, what do you think happens to humans when everyone does what is right in their own eyes? What do you think happens to humans when everyone is their own God? And we're not trusting the creator together as the creation. And we now compete for value. And now we compete for position. And now there's no way of saying what Dave thinks is right and what I think is right. Where do you think we end up? Well, I don't think you have to look very far. You just need to look at the world, don't you? And we read the consequences. Look at what it does relationally to the people of to Adam and Eve. So Genesis 3, verse 7 to 13, continuing on. And this is fascinating language. The symbolism of it is you could unpack it forever. But then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. That's the first indication in Scripture we have of people experiencing shame and judgment. Then the the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? So now human beings have gone from a trusting, deferential relationship to God to now they're hiding from God, and they're hiding from each other, and they're covering up. And verse 10 says, he answered, I heard you in the garden. This is Adam speaking. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. And God says something a bit odd to our ears. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Okay? So it's, and so we've got blame. We've got shame. We've got blame. We've got judgment. We've got people covering up and hiding from God. And then the woman decides, well, I know what I'll do with this blame. I'll pass it on. The the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate, and I ate. There's shame, there's hiding from God, there's judgment, there's blame. And what blame is, and this is the heart of what sin is. We're discussing sin here, in case you didn't realize. The heart of sin is this, elevating yourself at the expense of others, right? And that is exactly what blame is. Blame is protecting yourself at the expense of others. Adam protects himself at the expense of Eve. Eve protects herself at the expense of it goes, And so there's blame going on. I remember in high school, this helped me understand um, sin in my own heart, is that, you know, I was just a kid in, you know, I know you guys think I'm so cool right now, but I wasn't cool. Um, but in, 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 like, early high school, I wasn't cool, really wanted to fit in, wasn't fitting in very well, was in a rough high school. And... And, like, I didn't wake up at all and decide I wanted to be a mean person, but I desperately wanted to fit in. And I learned that the boys kind of found it funny when I hacked on people. So if I hacked on you for your race and where you lived and the job your dad had, I got a bit of love from the boys. It was kind of not a really good sort of love, but I got love. And, and that felt so good. 
and I didn't want to be the one at the bottom of the pile. I mean, I, I was at the bottom of the pile. I had this girl, Gina, she kicked me in the things one day and this other person threw food at me and like, like I wasn't in a good place and I just desperately wanted to get out of the place. And in the meantime, I became a mean person. Like I just started hacking on people because of, you know, that's what I had to do to survive, right? What am I doing? I'm elevating myself at the expense of others. I'm protecting myself at the expense of others. Because I'm not in harmony with, my, with the people around me. We're all our own gods. We're all doing right in our own eyes. We're all... Like we're, that's, that's what sin does. It separates us. We can't help but oppress. You know, fascinating, isn't it? That it is so much more in vogue now for societies like ours to say slavery is wrong. Slavery is wrong. They didn't say that necessarily a couple of hundred years ago, but we say it. There are more slaves in the world than ever before. We can't even rise above what we say is wrong. You know, when you know when we talk about like um, you know gossip and things like that, and and promoting slavery and things. The truth is, you're a bit like me in high school. Most of you don't get up at the start of your day and say, "Geez, it's a good day to hurt some people." Jeez, it's a good day to make other people feel rubbish, but we all fall into the trap of elevating ourselves at the expense of others, protecting ourselves at the expense of others. We can't help but oppress, self-protect, ignore. I can't, you know, I can't seem to rise above my fear of what other people think. I can't seem to rise above because we're not in harmony. We're, our relationship with, is broken with God and broken with each other. And friends, it's not just that the relationship is broken. It's not just that it's not just that we've screwed it up and we don't have the relationship we were created for with each other and with God. It's that we're stuck. We're stuck. We can't seem to rise above it. I mean, I've got, by, by God's grace, I have grown so much in my faith and I think my ego owns less of me than I ever have and I think I'm a little less... You know, um, I'm less likely to be mean in that way and I was high school to protect myself and all these things, but I still have so many moments where that nature comes out. Where, and, and we're so broken and we're stuck and we can't get out of it. And we're stuck with this eternal, it's actually this eternal gap. We can't get back to the relationship we were meant to have. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says this people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment and Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death the, the classic course Christianity explain does it this way right so all those times you've elevated yourself at the expense of others are in this tablet, I know my dad likes to use this one um, you know and, and if God was the ceiling and God would have looked down upon all that sin he would have no choice but to judge it because it's, it's out of order. It doesn't belong. He, he created a world where we were meant to show deference and trust to him. And now the human beings aren't that. And so he has to judge it. And so we're stuck in that sense. But if, you, if to use another analogy. Oh God. Yeah. I, I like this one. The idea that, that at the top of the mountain is the relationship we're meant to have trust and deference in the creator and we're at the bottom and we just can't scale the mountain we just can't overcome this nature that screwed it up that separated us from god in the first place we just can't get to the top of the mountain now next week and the week after we explore the truth that i know so many of you listening know is that god was the one who fixed this right we're going and we're going to talk about how god fixed it 
But when it comes to truths that all Christians need to accept, here's the question that people need to wrestle with. Would you even want God to fix it? Would you even want to be dragged back into that relationship, the one you were created for? Because while I made it all sound rosy and wonderful, creation in tune with the Creator, us in tune with each other, following the Creator together, perfect love, free to thrive, as wonderful as that sounds, it only works if God is the King. It only works if God is the King. God does make a move to save us, but he wants to save us back into that. And if you don't want that, if you think there's a way to be cool with God but for the crown to be on your head, then your journey stops here. The Christianity won't work for you. It's not going to happen. Because what God did, what God does is he, say, he, he creates a way for us to scale the mountain, but at the top of the mountain is a world where you and I are not God and we're completely happy with it. We want to be rescued back into the way things were, where we image our loving Father into the world, and that's all. And so, oh, there we go. It's on the other side. This is the first time I've laminated something in my life. Do you know that? Like I've grown so much in the last couple of weeks. I feel amazing. Um, this is this is the first truth that 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 all Christians need to wrestle with and accept. Jesus is the King, right? And you can either reject that, resist it, or receive it, right? You might be in a zone where you say, nope, I like this crown on my head, very much so, and I don't care, and I don't, want, I don't care about the eternal consequences, the immediate consequences, I prefer it that way. It may be a struggle for you, that concept, the idea that you're not your own master, and that's something to continue to pray and work through, or maybe that's something that you're, you're happy to receive. Jesus is the king, and I am so happy with that. But the next two weeks, we're going to look at core truths about how God rescued us back into that relationship. But unless you are happy for Jesus to be the king of your life, your journey stops here. So let me just pray. And then um, we'll, um, yeah, we'll, I'll leave you to this wonderful sunny day. And um, yeah, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that you love us. And we know we've talked today about what we were created for, this whole idea of creation being in tune with you, with us trusting you to define good and evil, with us with us just being unified, saying how great is God, rather than trying to outdo each other and be our own God's Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would keep drawing us towards that nature. Help us pursue that and, and, and want that in our lives. Help us want you to be the king. And, Lord, um, yeah, we just... Um, we just thank you so much because we know we're going to learn about how you rescued us back into that relationship. But I pray, Lord, that this week, this week, we would all be challenged to remember that you are the king and that we can rest under that and trust that with all our hearts. Amen.